Hey everybody, this is Rob Leifeld. Welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. Rob Observations, where I come at you from every possible angle I can on all of the comic book related stuff that I love. Movies, streaming, cartoons, anime, uh, toys, collectibles, some video games, all of it. We try and cover all of it uh, from, from when I was a young lad to, to the, the, the old shell I now find myself in. The one constant in my life is my obsession with comic books. And early on in my collecting, I was fortunate enough to come across a comic book called The Eternals. I was uh, seven years old. Jack Kirby had returned to Marvel Comics. Uh, he had uh, been away for about five years. And when he returned to Marvel, just as it was at DC Comics he was no longer going to work with other writers. He was going to write everything himself. And that's what he did. And he never looked back. And I think we are all the better for it as this giant phenomenon known as the Eternals is now preparing to land in much the same way that it did as a comic book. The, the cinematic version of the Eternals, which I saw this week uh, at, at a giant uh, world premiere, which, which felt like Things were back to pre-pandemic, and I'll, and I'll dwell on that a little a little more later. Uh, but but I, I was able to see the glory that is the Eternals movie, and it and it, and it, it took me a while to process, and that's why I waited a few days to jot my all of my thoughts down. I really dwelled on this. Part of it is my undying love of the subject matter, because of when I encountered it, because of what it represents to me. When I encountered the Eternals as a kid, I didn't really have an appreciation for who Jack Kirby was yet. His work was familiar to me. At the same time, he is doing one of Marvel's best-selling titles called Captain America. And he has come back to that prior to him launching The Eternals. I'm pretty sure The Eternals is around 1976. Uh, so so I, I, I'm, I'm seven or eight, whichever, choose one when it launches. And... Uh, my comic book uh, uh, obsession had started firmly at the young age of, of seven. I, I remember all those comics from 1974, 1975, uh, clear clear as, as day. I just the, the 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 smell of the market, the liquor store. I've covered it so many times on the show. I remember peeling these comics off the rack. I remember encountering them. I, I remember being dazzled by them. It's 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 what I've referred to as the curse. You you. You are obsessed with comics or you are not, okay? So we are, uh, you know, uh, uh, discussing this phenomenon called the Eternals today. And the Eternals literally, as I said, happened upon the comics industry in, the, in much the same way the cinematic universe is going to happen upon us. It had really no context. I just knew that I liked the way the characters looked. Uh, I, I, I had no reference for Icarus and Circe and uh, eventually Gilgamesh. And, uh, you know, Sprite, uh, Makari, I, I just, I just had no reference for them other than I thought they looked cool, which again speaks to the ultimate, uh, you know, highlight the perk, uh, of, of Jack Kirby's work was that it connected with you just on the basis of it looking cool, whether it was the, uh, you know, completely ornate headdresses that he gave everyone. I mean, Galactus is wearing a headdress. Okay. And it's, awesome. It's one of the greatest headdresses of all space and time with those giant kind of 
you know, pyres on the side of his helmet and the giant formation of the helmet. It kind of goes twice high above his forehead. I mean, the armor, um, his, his, um, his, his style, Jack Kirby's style evolved as time went on and he really used circles and circular shapes more than anybody else in the design world. And, and so the circles, which, I mean, come on, you don't get Kirby crackle unless you have the circles, became part of the, uh, the, the, the signature uh, that, that, that Jack would supply on his costumes that nobody else was doing. So he had a very signature style, and, and I remember w- grabbing the Eternals, and we've done uh, podcasts. I believe the second podcast I ever did dwells a great deal on the Eternals. I've done a dedicated Jack Kirby podcast. I've done actually a couple of them. The Eternals is always referenced in it because of what the Eternals represented, which was a reflection of a creator who was obsessed with what was surging in the culture at the time. What was surging at the cult during that time in pop culture was what I call this um, new obsession with alien races and secret civilizations. It was all over my youth on television once a weekend. I've, I've mentioned this again, so, so this will be familiar to you guys who have heard it before. Leonard Nimoy, Mr. Spock, was the very prominent host of a weekly syndicated show that was on Saturdays and Sundays in Southern California called In Search Of. And every week it's a different subject. In Search Of Atlantis, In Search Of Bigfoot, In Search Of Yeti, In Search Of The Lost Tribe of, you know, whatever. In in Search Of, um, you know, The Pyramids, In Search Of Aztec Gods. I mean, uh, In Search Of Loch Ness Monster. But, but really... That subject matter, and and really, when you look at, uh, there's an entire show that escapes me on on, you know, uh, d- 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 you know, ancient mysteries, alien ancient mysteries. That 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 guy that is always hosting it, he's just doing what Leonard, Leonard Nimoy was doing in 1976, 77, 75, and that was really piggybacking on a phenomenon called Chariots of the Gods. Chariots of the Gods was a documentary about our fascination with the races that have walked the earth before us, who may or may not have created the pyramids, who may or may not have appeared to the Aztecs, um, given more advanced technology. Uh, maybe they lived in Atlantis before Atlantis crashed. This is the stuff that it, this was mainstream pop culture. This wasn't on PBS. This was on uh, Channel 7, Channel 4. The, I mean, uh, wherever it was on mainstream syndicated part of the menu at 6, 6.30, 7, 7.30, maybe at different times on Saturdays and Sundays, but it was definitely weekend viewing. It went on for many seasons. It was a very popular show. Again, Leonard Nimoy was really the the the, the showcase centerpiece. Uh, you got Mr. Spock who narrates each and every episode. They were half hour installments and uh, it was just a great show. And piggybacking on Chariots of the Gods, which, um, you know, really opened up again this idea of all of these secret races that walked among us and it just took on a life of its own and its culture. Well, Jack always reflecting, uh, I think, think, you know, being kind of an avatar of what was popular, decided to reflect that in his creation of the Eternals, which are about space gods. At At its base, the Eternals are space gods that have a absolute... Uh, very clear line uh, to aliens. They are a product of alien uh, existence, of an alien power, 
of an alien presence that basically plants their seeds on on earth and and these eternals have walked among us since the beginning of our recorded history in eternals number one jack kirby written and drawn created all the characters created by jack kirby icarus talks about the flood that 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 you know, from Genesis, he you see his head narrating a scene alongside Noah's Ark. Funny enough, in the movie, they reference Noah's Ark. They 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 work that in there. Uh, you see them obviously more walk al- alongside us. A prehistoric man in the in the in the movies. They walk alongside us. Here's one of the things I told my buddy that you should find interesting as you prepare to see this movie. Up until. Uh, the premiere of the film, which, you know, is October uh, 18th. October 18th is when I saw the premiere of the film. Up until that time, all of the trailers that we have seen, all of the uh, TV spots, you find out very early on that all Marvel has really been showing you is a reflection of the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, The Deviants that are crawling out of the ocean, that the Eternals are battling almost every angle you've seen of Angelina Jolie as Thena uh, in action, uh, uh, Richard Madden as Icarus. So much of that is is cut from a very jam-packed opening five, six-minute action sequence. Um, other stuff where you have seen, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Black Knight and some of the stuff in London. I mean, now you're maybe in the first eight minutes, first first ten minutes of the movie. Uh, they have done a great job of keeping most of this film, most of this film, um, under wraps. So when you do go see it, you will absolutely be seeing a lot of fresh, um, completely fresh footage, fresh interactions, and uh, and that's exciting. That's always admirable when you sit there and you go, "Oh my gosh, they have been just you know, kind of." Uh, toying with us and that's that's the best part I'm sure of uh what Kevin Feige and his crew are able to pull off is they 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 are only showing you very limited uh footage when you're like where is this from is you know I was under the impression I was seeing some footage from maybe third act nope most of what you're seeing is is early on and it depicts the Eternals walking among early humankind and shaping us. And again, just like in the comics, uh, when Jack created the Eternals, he created an all-new mythology. He created an all-new legacy that would later become sewn into deeply into the Marvel Universe. And I'm not sure that that was his intent to begin with. But he certainly was alive, kicking, and uh, and kicking a lot of ass and still actively doing comic books when Marvel Comics eventually, after the Eternals... Uh, jobs that he did. I mean, I think the Eternals goes to 18 issues. There's two annuals in there. Maybe I'm including that, but I, I kind of feel like there's 20, but because there's two annuals and they're double-sized, Jack basically produced 24 issues worth of work in regards to the Eternals. He built that world. He laid that foundation. The Deviants, the Celestials, the Eternals, so much of the uh, conflicts and 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 the uh, you know the 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 world building and the character building he did across that twenty four issues worth of work. I mean, again, when you get double sized comics, you got to count those twice. So two annuals equals like four issues. And if there was eighteen, I mean, so now we're in twenty two uh, uh, issues worth of stuff plus covers. Um, Jack did 
an enormous amount of work. And the Eternals represent some of his most, what I call flex, flexing um, work. Uh, he knew how to exactly what he wanted out of splash pages, double page splash pages, um, cliffhangers, action shots. Uh, it's it, it's a famous story. A little side note that the Hulk, Marvel in order, because they wanted to raise the awareness of the Eternals, they asked him to put the Hulk in a pair of issues because Hulk was on TV at that time. Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk was Marvel's most identifiable character. Um, from you know, in case you were wondering, for most of Marvel's existence, it's been a Spider-Man Hulk uh, showcase. They are one A and one two, one B of their most popular characters. Uh, the Avengers film, I was told to my face by a producer a year before Joss Whedon's original Avengers 2012 movie came out. They told me that the entire thrust of that movie was to make Hulk, like put him back on the popularity charts uh, after his popularity waned a little um, following the the uh, the Marvel uh, produced Hulk film, the, the second swing at the bat with Ed Norton in 2008 that came out shortly after Iron Man. And again, he said, Rob, you have no idea what our sales were on the Hulk hands. Hulk is the constant. He said, whenever our sales are down across the world, this is what this producer told me, we get more Hulk product out in India, in, in, in Pakistan, in the Philippines. You have no idea. Hulk is just a go-to gigantic uh, commercial centerpiece for Marvel. So it made when I when I saw in 2012 when I watched the Avengers, I was like, oh my gosh! I mean, Ruffalo's Hulk steals every scene he's in, throwing Loki around like a rag doll, uh, punching Thor after their fight was done and knocking him out of screen. Um, he just had so much of the great, funny, you know presence and the memorable stuff that I, I go, oh man, they really were on a mission here to to light Hulk up again. And, and they have, even though they don't have the rights to do the solo films without Universal, when he is focused in the Avengers films or in Thor Ragnarok, you guys can see the emphasis is on making Hulk a big deal. Well, the same thing was true in 1976, 1977. Uh, the Hulk was a top rated show on CBS. This was not a minor show. The Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, Hulk show was a big ratings monster on Friday nights. I mean, we would, my dad even liked watching it with me and he was a big, wasn't a big superhero guy, but we would go out for dinner on Friday nights. We would always go to the mall and we, we would be home in time at eight o'clock to watch The Incredible Hulk. So the Hulk is in two issues, The Eternals, but Jack didn't like the fact that he was being forced to integrate his characters into the existing Marvel Universe at that time. So he reveals that the Hulk that Icarus is fighting is a robot. It's not the real Hulk. And this is funny because I think they do a version of this. Not, not I, I, think, I don't think they did it consciously. But Icarus very much, and you've already heard it. I've had some friends who've told me when they watch the trailer and they see Richard Madden as Icarus displaying his powers, they say, oh, so he's Superman. Oh, he's Superman. The guy next to me at the film. At the premiere, right in the beginning of the movie, when he is using his powers, he goes, oh, you know, it's Superman. And it was kind of in this like snarky way. Well, they let you know in the context of the movie, and I've seen this already break out as a news story, and I don't think that's too spoilerific, but uh, Marvel's put it in kind of a uh, uh, kind of a 
a new video kind of behind the scenes uh kind of get to know the eternals thing that they've that they uh have uh put out uh since again since the premiere and it's gotten a lot of traction i see a lot of links i see a lot of sharing um they are going out of their way to uh to show uh that in fact fasto's son when he meets icarus says oh you're like superman you're like superman so it's kind of like you know the way jack is like i'll put hulk in here but we're not really fighting the hulk we're in a separate universe i'm not i'm not saying this is bruce banner i'm not saying this is the hulk it's a hulk robot so in my world somebody could have seen the hulk and made a hulk robot same thing with the kid going you're like superman which means that a reference of Superman means that Superman comic books and merchandising and licensing is reaching kids in the Marvel Universe, the MCU. It's very funny. But uh, the Jack, really, I mean, there's no Thor, there's no Avengers. None of that comes while Jack is doing the Eternals. When Jack is done and the Eternals sh- series is over, a, sh- a series that was very much ahead of its time, in my opinion, it was later incorporated because they are gods, space gods. Well, Marvel was big in the gods business. I mean, Thor and Asgard, Hercules and the Olympians. So they went out of their way to do a giant year-long story. And it's great. I actually think it's it's terrific. Roy Thomas, uh, uh, Keith Pollard, Gene Day were the creative teams that brought you. Chick Stone was also an inker during that time. A year-long Thor story leading up to Thor 300 that incorporates the Celestials. I mean, I'm sorry, the the, the Eternals and the Celestials and really um, weaves them in as tight as they had been at that point. And we're talking 1978, 1979 at this point. So this is just a few years after the Eternals show, uh, the Eternals comic wraps up. Roy Thomas immediately integrated all that into the Marvel Universe. But it wasn't done. Initially, it wasn't done right at the outset. And, I'm, and the reason I've taken... You know, so much time to kind of set the table here is the movie is is really cut from the same cloth. And what I really thought about when I was driving home after seeing the movie, we have gotten used to, we have gotten used to uh, so much familiarity with the Marvel films, the universe, the characters uh, that we are, uh, you know, we can jump right into so many different stories. The reason I love Black Widow so much and I really did enjoy Black Widow a great deal. I loved it because it started with this great, thunderous pace. It's relentless. The, the backstory, the spies living among us. If you haven't seen Black Widow, I'm sorry. It's been out for almost five months. I'm going to maybe scratch a little uh, stuff that, that, that if you haven't seen it is not completely familiar to you. But I don't think it's completely spoilerific. But uh, Black Widow, they establish, you know, uh, N- Natasha Romanov's childhood and her life here in America and, and her life living with Russian spies among us and and how they flee and then her training and then uh, so much of what went into creating Black Widow comes back to haunt her and chase her and she's on the run and you've got you know Taskmaster, Taskmaster attacking her early on in the film in a brutal awesome action sequence um, later on with her sister and the other widows and but it's easy there's shorthand knowledge to all this because we already know it we've seen her in how many photo, you know movies prior than six, seven? I mean, we have seen a lot of Black Widow at that time, so we can do the shortcuts. We can cut right in. Shang cheated world be- world world building, but it also got to reference both Iron Man one and Iron Man three, and kind of say, hey, look over here. 
what was happening over the Marvel Universe, that you heard the Ten Rings and you heard these other, that's all tied into Shang-Chi. Now, Shang-Chi did, Shang-Chi, sorry, I'm still getting used to that. Shang-Chi did absolutely build out an entire new world and an entire um, new saga involving new characters, new conflicts. They really added a, a fantasy component that I did not see coming, you know, that I really enjoyed. But the Eternals is a much bigger meal. It's a, it, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, Shang-Chi, Black Widow, they're like Happy Meals, okay? Uh, this is, Eternals is like a five-course meal. That's how Jack designed it, okay? But it's, it's very layered, and there's a lot of characters. You know, Shang-Chi, you're focused on Shang-Chi and, and, and his relationships and, 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 and his opponent. But with the Eternals, Ajax, Thena, Circe, Makai, uh, uh, Icarus, you know, Sprite, Druig, uh, it's not Makai, it's Makari, sorry, Gilgamesh, Kingo. I mean, we've got a ton of people to meet, to know, to understand. Right before the lights go down, my buddy who's at the show with me leans over and says, hey, what are you expecting out of this movie? It was so, like, he never says this to me, but he's, he goes, what are you expecting? Like, What do you want out of Eternals? And this is right as, as the lights went out. And I said, I want a great performance by Thena, and I want a great performance by Icarus. I did not speak in terms of Richard Madden or Angelina Jolie. I spoke in terms of the characters. I was looking for my two favorite Eternals to be depicted in a way that I really loved and appreciated them. So also take my own obsession with the Eternals outside of that. And I'm in a different headspace completely because I knew Jack. I loved Jack. Again, as I've, as I've told you guys, it occurred to me um, just about a year ago that I am the only, um, you know, member of Image Comics, the Image 7, to have dined with Jack Kirby at his home, to have spent time out in his pool, to enjoyed, uh, you know, so much personal time with Jack in his, um, away from conventions and, and, and panels and tables, you know, at, in his home with his wife, uh, uh, you know, sharing great stories, sitting next to the drawing board that he created this amazing world from, uh, going with Roz into the special room where all the artwork was, um, and, and pulling out drawer after drawer from dresser after dresser and, and covering different, you know, pages in, in different art. So I knew Jack on a different level and I loved Jack and I did a project with Jack and it was called Phantom Force and that's covered in a different, um, podcast, but, um, Todd and Jim Lee and Eric Larson, they, they never made, they did not go out and enjoy a personal relationship with Jack. And uh, when you know him, you love him even more. You are even more taken and consumed by him. And a couple of years back, 20, 2019, at San Diego, when Kevin Feige came out and formally introduced that The Eternals was the next movie that they would be, uh, that they would be making, uh, after that panel on Saturday night is always the big giant, uh, is the big giant um, uh, Comic-Con party that Entertainment Weekly puts on. 
And um, so you're going to, you know, I'm, you're going to bump into Kevin Feige at some point. And um, Kevin uh, had come up and, and, and literally like, like, I mean, Kit Harrington was right there and, and, and Richard Madden and uh, everybody really uh, outside of Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie were kind of in the Marvel kind of, I'll call it the Marvel, um, uh, <laughs> what's it called? Uh, not tent, but just, we'll call it the Marvel tent. Um, and, uh, he said, Hey Rob, what'd you think? And I said, Kevin, I'm so excited for the Eternals. And he goes, why? I said, because it's hundred percent Jack Kirby. There is no Stanley. There is no one else. The, 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 the deservedly, the spotlight shines on him. And he's like, no, you got to get good point. That's a really good point. I said, and he even said, it's just shame. He didn't get to see any of it. I said, ah, he sees it, but I get what he's saying. Stan got to live it. He got to be the face of everything. And his very much equal uh, was not present for any of it because, you know, Jack passed in 94. So here we are, and we're at the Eternals premiere, and I'm about to watch all of these characters and this world and these concepts that Jack conceived, depicted by just an all-star cast. And my expectations are really high, and I keep wondering, what would Jack think? Well, let me ask you, because this is one thing I want to, so we're going to cover this. I believe Jack Kirby would be infinitely, infinitely thrilled with the movie that Chloe Zhao made uh, of his property that Marvel Comics produced, Feige, uh, Chloe, everybody. Uh, it is a beautifully shot movie. Uh, Chloe has a very distinct way that she shoots films. She won, you know, the Academy Award uh, this this past year. She is an accomplished filmmaker and uh she likes to let her camera linger she uh moves the camera perhaps in a slightly uh slower um uh you know at a slower pace at a more at a, how, how do we say this um at a at a at a more deliberate pace and look when i saw uh nomad land which I, I believe is the name of the movie that she uh uh, uh, that she won the Academy Award for, uh, um, starring Francis McDormand, Nomadland. Uh, I, I was just, I loved going on that ride. I liked that it was deliberate. I like slow paced stuff, but I don't always associate it with comic books and comic book superheroes. And here there's different, definitely a, a balance. And this speaks to the, going back to Black Widow, the familiarity, the shortcuts that we can take. The Eternals doesn't have that luxury. There is no shortcuts to take. They are world building from day from from frame one of this picture. They give you a scroll. They tell you kind of what's coming. If you're an Eternals fan, you know some of what you're reading in the scroll is deliberate misdirection, and that there are you already know some of the secrets that they're going to reveal that they're not telling you in the first reading of the scroll, and you're like, huh? They're having you think one thing about something when really you know that it's something else. And it'll all be revealed and you'll you'll be very satisfied. But uh, from frame one, they are building a brand new world because just like when Jack introduced the Eternals, they walk among us. Well, why haven't we seen them alongside the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and the X-Men and all of the, you know, go back to the World War II and the, and the Invaders. And again, you see this in the, in the trailer. And again, this is from an early, maybe eight, 10 minute point of the movie. I don't think this spoils anything. When Kit Harrington as 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 Dane as the Black Knight is like, why didn't you interfere with Thanos? 
Now, like we were forbidden by Arashem, who is the celestial that is kind of uh, their headmaster, if you will, the celestial that that controls their, um, for lack of a better word, nest of Eternals. And uh, and so once you introduce the celestials, and again in that Thor year long leading up to uh, to to I, I used to just call it the celestials story. That, that Roy Thomas wove into um, Thor that led up to the big giant double-sized anniversary issue 300 that was featured all of the Eternals uh, cast members the entire year as they really integrated them into the Marvel Universe. They had to. You can't introduce something as completely uh, overpowering in concept as the Celestials. Prior to the Celestials, I felt that Galactus was the biggest, baddest, dude in the Marvel Universe. You couldn't mess with him. There had been a storyline that was wrapping up right as the Eternals launched in the Fantastic Four uh, where Galactus, as big as, you know, a skyscraper, is in the sky battling another uh, 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 creation named the High Evolutionary who has grown as big as Galactus and is standing like a skyscraper in the sky. And they are, you know, throwing all this cosmic power at each other towering over Earth's cities in this amazing depiction. If I'm correct, this is, uh, I think this is uh, either George Perez, John Buscema was the artist of this as they as they were wrapping this storyline up. And uh, Marvel was also putting out reprints of the Fantastic Four, which featured Galactus. And also Galactus had been featured in some of the cartoons that I had caught on repeat from the 60s. So Galactus, just in size alone and power and scope, and I mean, he eats planets. You understood Galactus eats planets. Well, now you got this next level of Celestials. Great name, too. This, uh, also, the Eternals, great name. Reason I grabbed it off the rack at the Stater Brothers at the, at the grocery market is because it looks so badass. The Eternals, it sounds great. It looks great. The Eternals, the Celestials, the Deviants, these are killer names. Jack had a way with visuals. Jack had a way with names. So we are, uh, you know, just introduced to this entire new concept with the Celestials. I mean, they're even bigger than Galactus, physically. You know, their stature. And, and as the Eternals movie goes on, you get the scale. They, they hint at the scale. They do a couple scale-ish things early on, but there is a scene towards the end of the movie that is breathtaking, that finally gives you really the, the I, I felt like the, oh, wow, whoa, um, intimidation of the Celestials, uh, how they were positioned really off the horizon of the, of the you know, you've got your, sky, your, your, your city line and you've got your horizon line and the chest and the shoulders of the Celestials, you know, are peering up above that. And so you're like, oh my gosh, they're standing in space and this is as close as we can get to them. And we see them. That that scope and scale builds as the movie goes along. And and by the third act, they have done the celestials more than the justice that than you that, that you expected. I, I really that they they have established like going forward, the celestials are going to be a big deal. But they had to set the table. They had to create this entire world and introduce you again to, you know, Fastos and Icarus and Athena 
and and Circe and Druig. I mean, it, there's a lot. There's a lot of characters to meet and interact with. Um, is that perhaps maybe one of the reasons that the movie is um it, is it makes it such a big full meal? It is. Uh, I think that for the most part, this movie uh, was cast exceptionally well, but it is the first time I felt like there were maybe chemistry issues that, that, that let's say I won't name it specifically, but if I had issues with the Eternals and they're minor, it's, there are some casting choices I wasn't crazy about, but I'm here to focus on what works and what works really well in this movie. What did I tell my buddy? I wanted a great performance by Icarus. I wanted a great, you know, performance by Fina. So, and I have to go back and go, this isn't an extension of Thanos' story. Not yet. This isn't an extension of Ultron. This isn't an extension of anything that you've seen on Disney+. Plus. This is a brand new, the space gods that walk among us. Where have you been this whole time? Again, is the is the question uh, that has to be answered in the first 10 minutes to your satisfaction. And, and they're telling you, the Celestials told us not to interfere. And I'm telling you, if you read the comics, you realize how how and why that answer should suffice. It should satisfy you. The Celestials are a bigger threat, are a bigger deal than Galactus has ever been in the Marvel Universe. Are the Celestials bigger than Thanos? I believe they are. If they chose to to interact aggressively, the idea is that we would all cease to exist. They are that powerful. The Celestials have their own agenda, but they are at maybe the max out power level in the comics and now in the cinematic U. So if someone that powerful is like, you stay to the side, you you walk alongside the humans, you do not interfere. It's no different than the Watcher. The Watcher chooses to, chooses to observe, right? Not to interfere. So here you go. You've got the headmaster has told his students slash creations, his, his uh, you know, his charges that they are not to interfere on any level. So that's heavy. That's heavy stuff. So now you know why you didn't see him up until this point. But where have they been? Well, they show you where they've been. They, they, they do a number of flashbacks showing um, them, again, prehistoric man, Babylon, other, other points throughout history. There's a glimpse, World War II. So you get you get you get plenty of that. Um, immortals that walk among us, uh, guys my age, uh, encountered this in 1984-85. The release of Highlander, which is going to be our my generation's favorite depiction of secret immortals who walk amongst us. Um, it just is. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there can be only one. You know, Sean Connery. Uh, the 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 Kurrigan uh, Highlander is such a badass concept. They made multiple films. They made a TV show. I mean, they went back to the well on Highlander again and again and again. And this idea that there are people right next to you that are thousands of years old. And again, in issue number one of Eternals, Icarus says, "I am not, you know, the young man that I appear to be." Giant bold, you know proclamation that he makes. So we uh, get to learn what's been occupying these Eternals. What have they been doing? Why have they been staying behind the shadows? And why are they now emerging to battle this new uh, threat 
that is Gotti Clock. They've kind of covered this in the trailer, so it's not spoilerific, right? But this emergence, you know, this, this issue that now has a matter of days to resolve. And they're going to fight amongst themselves. They're going to have different agendas. Let's go to Athena. Let's talk about Angelina Jolie. So movie stars are movie stars. Um, primarily the, 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 the traditional movie star. I think of a Robert Redford. Okay, I think of a Paul Newman. Uh, when I was a kid, Julia Roberts, you know, Sandra Bullock, they they came to be these amazing uh, movie stars. Goldie Hawn, Barbara Streisand. These are these huge movie star names. And, and most of the time, it's because we just, we love the charisma that they exude and that beautiful visage, that face that they exude it from. And uh, look, uh, you know, for years and years and years, TV stars tried to be movie stars. Farrah Fawcett was one of the most popular faces on television. Charlie's Angels came out the gate when I was a kid to become one of the top, uh, if not the number one show of that year. I mean, it definitely danced with number one if it switched off from number one, number two, number three. Charlie's Angels was a phenomenon. Farrah Fawcett had the best-selling poster in the United States, maybe the world, for years. She uh, married Lee Majors, the $6 million man. He had a top show. But the minute that she could become a movie star, she did. She appeared alongside uh, Michael York in Logan's Run. And then she did a number of different kind of sci-fi films. Uh, one with Kirk Douglas. Maybe it's called Saturn 3. Forgive me if I'm getting that wrong, but it's um, definitely with Kirk Douglas. She uh, jumped at the chance to turn her TV stardom, of which she was a TV star for one year, one season, and became a movie star. Michael Douglas left The Streets of San Francisco, a show that I watched with my dad every week, starring alongside Carl Malden. They were detectives. Streets of San Francisco, big hit for ABC. He jumps to movies and he never, ever looks back. We all know, you know Michael Douglas as a movie star. You don't know him as the TV star that he started out being. Once that opportunity exists, you jump at it. Mark Hamill famously uh, is in the pilot of a show that went on to be have 100 episodes be on ABC for five seasons. Maybe not quite 100 episodes, but five seasons. Um, I always have to backtrack because it's like, oh, you, it was 98, not 100. Got it. You know, won't die in that hill. Eight is Enough was a big hit for ABC. The pilot featured Mark Hamill. While they decided to make, if they were going to make the, ha- the the pilot or not make the pilot, Star Wars came up. The idea of being a movie star was more appealing to Mark Hamill. He negotiated his way out of being in the series, which is why they recast him with Grant Goody. These are enough lessons for you to understand that movie stardom is the highest echelon. It is the place where where our culture worships the altar, our co- our right or not. It is, the, it is the altar that we worship at the most. We pour so much importance into movie stars. Angelina Jolie has been a movie star for just shy of 30 years. She burst on the scene in the 90s. And she never looked back. And I'm just going to dwell on her chin. From her chin up, we're just going to talk about her face. She is stunningly beautiful and gorgeous. My wife knows this. We discuss it. Again, she has a gorgeous face. A movie star's face must withstand, as you know, 
being sometimes as tall as four stories. The IMAX, uh, what everyone else, what everyone here in Southern California refers to as the best IMAX theater at the Irvine, uh, down in Irvine, uh, at the Irvine Marketplace. That uh, IMAX is like the tallest, biggest, widest. Everyone else, all the other screens, people call those LIMAX theaters because they don't have the real estate. They don't have the, um, the, the dedication to them. This thing is gigantic. It's like a four and a half story screen. And people like Tom Cruise, Angelina Jolie, Sandra Bullock, I've seen them all. They always they all look magnificent. They hold up. Movie stars, they're, they're made by their face. Robert Redford, I, I, the guy just had a face. Paul Newman had a face. Charlton Heston had a face. Tom Cruise has a face. Angelina Jolie has a face that we love. And as Thena, she is stunning. She has a lot to deal with, a lot on her plate. Thena is con- conflicted. Again, getting back to the movie star thing. We've all seen the report uh, when kids, like there's an average looking person and then there's Cindy Crawford and the kid always crawls over to the Cindy Crawford picture. And it proves that even from a young age, we value youth and beauty and uh, attractiveness. And again, so you get all that with Angelina Jolie. She she looks um, stunning as Thena. She has a lot on her plate. Thena is a complicated character, as you'll learn throughout the film. She enjoys a particularly close uh, relationship with Gilgamesh. And I'm going to tell you, okay, um, I must be hiding under some sort of rock. I was not as familiar with all of Don Lee's performances as perhaps I should be, but he is magnificent. He is magnificent, and the chemistry that he has with Angelina Jolie is fantastic. And they are paired together for much of the movie. Um, they share a lot of scenes. They share a story. Uh, 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 that They have a, a particular relationship. I'm not going to give the um, complete uh, nature of that relationship over to you guys. You guys are going to find out for yourself. But Thena is, she's the troubled um, eternal. And uh, almost, this is a bit of a reach to say she's the Wolverine of the team. But she definitely has flashes of temper. And they call her the goddess of war. She is clearly one of the most feared. Uh, even uh, Icarus, who is arguably the most all-around powerful, physically powerful of the Eternals, um, kind of defers to the fact that Thena, not Athena, even go out of their way to tell you this, just Thena uh, is a badass and someone who, um, you know, is formidable. Uh, loved Angelina Jolie. Her arc is great. Uh, I, I was thinking on the way home, I went beyond what my friend asked me when he said, what do you expect out of this? What are you looking forward to? Good Icarus, good Thena. Those were my two kind of, you know, I just want really great performances out of the two of them. Well, I'm driving home. Uh, I always, you know, when I go to these premieres, I am driving from Orange County. It is anywhere from a 70 to 90 minute drive. So I got I always get a nice, you know, drive home to think about this stuff. This movie went particularly late, so there's nobody that I feel really comfortable calling at 11, 11.30 at night talking about the Eternal. So I'm just processing my thoughts, thinking about all that I've seen. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, why did I even want to go see the Eternals? Why am I driving up to see this premiere? Why did I want to see it in the theaters? Why do you want to see Eternals? Is it because it's a Marvel movie? That's not enough for me. Is it a new chapter in the MCU? It's not enough for me. Um, 
you know, I'm going to tell you right now, there are two or three Marvel movies I have never seen in a theater. I bypassed them altogether. I caught them when they were on DVD release. They just weren't important to me. Uh, not every Marvel movie demands my instant uh, fealty. I, I'm not ready to bend the knee just on the basis that it's a Marvel movie. Many people are. Many people do. Um, you know, I learned at the New York Comic Con, the New York Comic Con that I was at recently, um, I was very fortunate. I had a great turnout of um, enthusiastic uh, folks who, who, who um, you know, wanted to share their comics, get them signed. It was fun. Well, all of the young people, the, the teenagers to the 20s, because uh, Bond, the new Bond, the new Daniel Craig Bond movie was opening, I figured, well, this is great. I can do, I can conduct like a little lab. And I asked all of them, again, kind of anywhere from 14 to 22, 24, that kind of age range. I said, hey, James Bond is in one theater. Venom, which had already been out a few days. Venom 2 is in another theater. You can only see one. Which one are you seeing? Venom 2, Venom 2. Not one person answered Bond. Uh, James Bond probably has a slight... United States issue. It's playing huge around the world, but in the United States, it's having its slowest burn. And look, it's not a young property and it probably needs another round of refresh. And Daniel Craig uh, went out with a bang. I loved No Time to Die. I absolutely fantastically uh, enjoyed that movie. I've seen it a number of times uh, since it came out. It gets better every time I spend time with it in the theater. Uh, but the, the answers were, there wasn't even a pondering of thought. They were going to see the hotter of the brand names, the more demanding of the brand names. Venom 2. Now, maybe if I said Ant-Man, maybe maybe the difference, maybe it's different. Maybe Doctor Strange, certainly not the new Doctor Strange, but, but in the past. But it really, really uh, drove home the point that the Marvel films have the favor of today's youth. As if you didn't already know that. So yeah, newsflash. Liefeld reveals that water is wet. I got it. And that, you know, uh, you have to breathe to live. Okay, these are these are the big revelations of the show, right? No, Marvel has an enormous brand. An enormous brand. It doesn't always work. It didn't work for Dark Phoenix the summer that that came out, of course. But, uh, you know, by and large, everybody asked, oh, Venom 2, Venom 2. No, nobody said Bond. So maybe the reason you're going to see the Eternals is because of your dying uh, devotion to the building out of the MCU, which again, this represents a big, giant, new territory because you have nothing that's familiar in this movie, which here's the deal, man. That's a big swing. That's a huge swing. I commend Marvel for taking Jack Kirby's Eternals and its incredible concepts, worlds, designs, and saying we're going to start fresh. They're starting from the ground up. This is this is this is not a tear down and rebuild of a home, where they're going to build around something familiar. You know, people. I saw an interview with a couple, and they're like, "We loved uh, this room in our house, so we decided to tear down the rest of the house and build it around this room with a greater focus on this room." That happens all the time. It's not we love the house, but we are doing a giant, uh, you know, redo on the backyard. We're adding a pool. We're adding a side house. No, this is from that 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 statement. The Eternals is 
from the studs up, okay? This is a, they poured the concrete, they've let it dry, and now they are going to build this, this house, this enormous house from the studs. They're going to give you this world of the Eternals, and they, and they have. And, uh, and it's, it's an enormous undertaking and a lot of characters and a lot to bite off. But Thena was great. As I informed you earlier, why did I go see, why did I want to see Eternals? I wanted to see it because Angelina Jolie. You take her out of it, my interest in this movie wanes considerably. It wanes considerably. I was going to see Eternals for Angelina Jolie. So did I get satisfaction? Was Angelina Jolie great? She was fantastic. She was amazing. I loved every minute that she was on screen. I loved it. She, I, I absolutely fulfilled um, my desire to have a great Angelina Jolie performance. So, so beyond Angelina Jolie's performance as Thena, and, and you kind of go, well, but, but life, I thought you said you were a lifelong fan of the Eternals. And you were so excited for Jack Kirby and all this, this other Kirby enthusiasm. What's going on with that? Okay, so you might not have noticed that the world has drastically changed in the last two years. Um, this thing called a pandemic has happened upon us. I am going to many less films than I used to go to. Uh, there have not been giant movie premieres. I spoke of this uh, uh, early on in today's podcast that this particular premiere was a much bigger deal. I went to Black Widow, that premiere earlier in the uh, earlier in the, the spring summer. And it was a very different kind of affair. Very, very pared down. Uh, no, no, nowhere near the amount of real estate was uh, reserved in order for them to throw this giant party. It was really uh, much more accessible. Uh, the, the, a lot of the times they erect almost a wall on each side to give it more of a exclusivity so people can't necessarily see in. Black Widow was a much more scaled down affair. Much smaller. I would say much more intimate. Uh, we had just, we were, the numbers in Southern California were good. We hadn't gone back to masks in Los Angeles yet, but it was coming. But regardless... Well, you can say, well, 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 Scarlett Johansson was pregnant. She wasn't doing any of the junket. That's correct. But no stars were there, okay? Uh, Florence Pugh wasn't there. Uh, David Harbour. I mean, literally no one else from the from Black Widow was in attendance at a Black Widow premiere. I don't even think the, I don't, I don't even think the director was there. Kevin Feige came out, addressed everybody, started the movie. The movie was over. That was it. It felt like a much smaller undertaking because uh, we are coming out of this giant global pandemic. We have all uh, consumed a whole lot more streaming. You guys know this. We're getting a lot of day and date stuff, uh, whether it's from HBO Max, uh, some of it on Disney. Uh, so, so you know, the idea of going to a big giant, I'll call it a five-star premiere, and that's what I went to this last week. I mean, everybody was there. The entire cast was there. The director. Uh, there was tons of, uh, as is the case of other different um, giant movie premieres, whether it's Star Wars or a giant, you know, Batman movie premiere or a Marvel movie premiere. You get lots of cross sections of, um, of 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 interest from pe people from other walks of entertainment, other TV shows, other movie stars, 
you know, people who are necessarily not in this movie are at this movie to to see it because for whatever reason they they want to see it. It's a place to be seen, you know, figure it out. But my uh I didn't know when I was attending the Eternals whether it would reflect Black Widow. Cause I don't, you know, first of all, I'm not asking, is Angelina Jolie gonna be there? Is is Selma Hayek gonna be there? I'm just going ultimately I'm driving up to see the movie early. Early access, that's interesting. And I really enjoyed what I saw. And I'm talking with you about it on today's podcast because I made that trip because I wanted to get the screening early. Now, maybe if Eternals was coming out six days later, I don't even go to the premiere. But Eternals isn't coming out for weeks. So I decided to hightail it, get up there, see what's going on. My curiosity was raging. But as a movie, as a ticket buyer, what would motivate me to see it opening night early in the weekend and not wait a couple weeks is Angelina Jolie. Again, we are in the business, Marvel's in the business of movie stars. Hollywood's in the business of movie stars. You didn't, you know, groan out loud like I did when Top Gun and Mission Impossible were delayed again for any other reason than you love Tom Cruise and you love the decisions he makes making those movies because he's very much part of the filmmaking process. He's a producer. The guy um, speaks to the director's has huge collaborations with the directors and everything that he does the last 20 plus years because Tom Cruise is a bona fide, maybe the last of the biggest movie stars. So Angelina Jolie is the reason that I would go and see this on a Thursday night, on a Friday night, first weekend, okay? Um, and 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 so did I get a great appearance? Did I get a great performance by Thena? Is she part of what sustains the film, the film stories, the conflict? Yes. She kicks all sort of ass. She kicks ass early, she kicks ass in the middle, and she kicks ass at the end. And she looks phenomenal. Again, her face alone, as big as a skyscraper, she is, you know, a giant movie star. Icarus, Richard Madden, is as noble, intense, strong as you would come to expect from playing Icarus. Uh, And he is not a guy who is without his own conflicts. And he plays that out really great. Icarus is fantastic. Um, I think it's one of the most important performances in the film alongside Angelina Jolie as Cena. The stuff that made the movie that put it over the top 100% is is um is is the 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 character and the performance uh is the character of Fastos as depicted by Brian Tyree Henry. He steals every scene he's in. He is missing from this movie for a long stretch and the movie misses him. I'm not saying it's, it, if I were to say it suffers for it, that that's more negative and more harsh. It misses him. He plays off everybody. Of course, he's got the big scene in the trailer with Spring Collection, Ikea, okay, when, when Icarus breaks his table. I mean, we've been seeing that spot for four months now. That's very familiar. That is only a glimpse of how great his chemistry is with every single character. In, in my opinion, he lifts the movie up and, and especially towards the end of the second act all the way throughout the third act. And he gets to do some phenomenal stuff. His character gets to really come into its own. He um, finds his, his, his strength, his own, for lack of a better term, aggression. He is a signature role in the movie. Brian uh, Tyree... Johnson just delivers as um, <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry. Ah, 
you know what? Uh, the, 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 the gap between me doing these podcasts, because I could literally could not talk for weeks. Uh, I, I had a really, really, really bad throat. And uh, so this is the first one I've done uh, in, in a couple weeks. So bear with me. Brian Tyree Henry. Brian Tyree Henry slays as fastos. He is f- fantastic. You, um, Kumail Nanjani, uh, early on in the film, identifies as, oh, your funny Marvel, your standard funny Marvel character. Every Marvel movie has it. Maybe sometimes it's Paul Paul Rudd. Um, maybe it's Ruffalo. You know, sometimes, you know, it's Loki. Uh, just, you know, it depends. Well, early on, his depiction uh, of Kingo um, is, is very humorous, very funny. And he's kind of like, oh, he's my comic relief. That's what I'm talking about. The comic relief guy. He's got the, you know, especially against, um, you know, who's not your comic relief is Angelina Jolie and Richard Madden um, and, 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 uh, and Gemma Chan. They are not your comic relief. But Kingo, uh, Kumail Nanjani, Nanjani uh, is, is great and really injects uh, the film with some lighthearted, some, some, uh, a balance of humor. He, his storyline is very funny and it really speaks to going back to Highlander that like, well, what would you do if you had to bide your time for thousands of years? Well, it's great. And his story is great and they explain it great. And it's, um, it's really fun, but his character, uh, uh, does not make the entire journey with us. There is a point where he exits the film. No, he does not die. So there, I'm actually, it's a spoiler, but if I don't say that, you're going to think, oh, he, no, he just, his kind of time with the characters, he chooses a different path. And it's at that time that we meet back up with, um, with, with Fastos, who is, who is, uh, been away too long, in my opinion. And now Fastos is not a Kirby Eternal. He came as part of the, uh, 1985 Eternals miniseries, and he is a welcome, very welcome addition to this particular uh, saga. And and again, there is nobody in this movie that he does not raise their game. He is uh, to me the MVP. I, I tweeted that that night, and and and, and it stands. What 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 starts with Kingo, uh, Fastos picks up and runs with it. He's got some heavy stuff. He's got some some emotional stuff, but his um, just his boisterous personality. And look, he's also, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. He is one of the, if not the smartest of all the Eternals. So in every scene he is, he's, you know, got more knowledge than you or whoever he's with. And it shows he should be the brighter, um, you know, more, uh, more accomplished, more confident member of the team. And he is, but like I said, there's some there in, in the end, when it calls for him to be more, uh, aggressive, he is, and it's fantastic. I'm going to tell you because you go, well, 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 what are some of the fresh and new stuff that this movie does? Let's go back to the director with Chloe and uh, how well she shoots. That there are stuff, especially towards the end, where I believe they do Jack Kirby the proudest is in the third act, where I can't spoil it, but this event that occurs is very much bringing like a giant. Jack Kirby double page spread to life. And once you figure out what you're seeing, because there's a little bit of sleight of hand, and once you figure out what those shapes are forming, 
it's mind blowing. And uh, I think she does a fantastic job throughout incorporating Kirby isms, Kirby style, stylish um, uh, aspects of his work into into again. I've heard some people go, those aren't the Eternals costumes. Those aren't bright enough. No, they're not. They're 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 they run the same reflection of so many of costumes that we see adapted. Um, you know, at no point did Jason Momoa look like the Arthur Curry that I grew up with on the Super Friends in the comic books in my Jim Apero comic books. Um, but he was Aquaman and Arthur Curry nonetheless. Uh, he just was now the cinematic version of that character, and obviously we loved him. And we love him, and we can't wait to take every swim with Jason Momoa. But in the same way, the Eternals are not exactly cookie-cutter representations of Jack Kirby's work. But there's enough. What I told you earlier, the circles, the circular templates, the giant banding that he does on his costumes, uh, it's all present. And again, the, the third act, this giant imagery that they achieve. I mean, and you kind of go, literally, you do leave going, is this going, like, uh, how do I say this? This thing that occurs, uh, maybe it, it it's a permanent fixture now in the Marvel Universe, but it is definitely, so then it is a de- definite Jack Kirby imprimatur on the MCU, which would be kind of cool. You'll you'll know when, when you see it, this giant uh, depiction, like a giant super flex of the most super flex artist ever in the history of comics. I think Chloe was absolutely bringing this stuff to... to, to to, to to fruition the entire film. In The Eternals, there is, and as a kid, again, I grabbed it. I think it's Eternals 11, maybe Eternals 12. The Unimind is introduced. The Unimind. Cool concept, cool name. When I was a kid, it rolled off my tongue. The Unimind. There is a manifestation of the Unimind in this film. And when it's said, even the character says, like, I mean, some some people kind of make fun of it. It's, it's along the lines of in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when they introduced Taserface and everyone laughs at the name. Well, Taserface is a name that came from a very young boy, Jim Valentino's son, who was maybe seven or eight at the time when he came up with the name and drew up a little sketch. And Jim Valentino incorporated that and Taserface was brought to life. And then in the movie, everyone laughs at Taserface in the James Gunn movie. This isn't quite that level, but when he's like, this is how we're going to achieve what we need to achieve, we're going to achieve it via the Unimind. I, I literally grabbed the, the 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 chair and I was like, oh my gosh, they're showing us the Unimind. And they use this, uh, the way that they manifest their powers with these gold. Again, if you've seen uh, Angelina Jolie as Athena, when she ha- summons her long golden spear and shield and her weaponry, that's kind of what I call the Kirby manifestation. Uh, Gilgamesh uh, and his giant, he, he has these kind of giant... Uh, energy gloves mitts that go on his hands when he punches people it's very powerful he's very powerful they they show exactly like he's kind of just shy of one punch man if he connects with you uh you're going down i mean it's 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 really cool uh but again this kirby any anything that is kind of gold in the in in the movie is a reflection of like the kirby power um it's their adaptation their their augmentation of kind of the kirby uh, uh, manifestation of power, not quite the Kirby crackle, but it's 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 how they do it. Well, the Unimind comes to life via that same golden energy imagery, and it's awesome. So they lean hard. Somebody, when I said I saw it on Facebook, said Rob, do they do Jack Kirby? Just I believe they do. 
Is it 100% ripped from the pages, Kirby? No. Nothing ever is that. There's always, you know, between the DCU and the MCU, they've all introduced this aspect of the, you know, the special lining of the fabric and the extra textures. Um, and and that is that is part and parcel of what we live with now. That is part of the movie visual imagery. And is it an improvement over the great American hero, you know, um, costume and the hero at large costume and all these other, you know, costumes that we saw as a kid? I, I didn't like the John Wesley Ship Flash costume. I mean, if you want to, you know, uh, take me out and discipline me because I just said that, that that's fine. But, uh, you know, not every costume makes sense. I, I'm, I'm among the people who think that um, not only did, did Michael Keaton, but, but Christian Bale's Batman masks, it looked as if they could not turn their heads left or right. There was kind of a, a practicality of the costumes that were missing. That wasn't the case when, when, in my opinion, Ben Affleck appeared in what is the best of the Batman costumes. But I think these are Kirby enough. I'm going to go with Kirby enough, okay? Some people are like, if it's not 100%, I'm walking out. Okay, that's your thing. My thing was, I think they found a balance. It's definitely a visual representation that hasn't been out there in the Marvel films as of yet, and I thought they did a great job. I really, really thought that they did a great job pulling it off, and I'm excited that it exists and that it's out there and that we can, we can you know, participate in it, with it. But I'm going to tell you, one of the things it does, uh, Makari is a speedster now. They've, again, a lot of the... Uh, 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 Characters for this film, as you know, they did a gender switch, which is fine, all well and good, build out the cast. Um, but uh, Makari is your super speedster. Do I believe that Marvel Comics in the Eternals, uh, Chloe Zhao, the whole thing, is depicted, uh, it is the best depiction of a super speedster battling a Superman type that I've ever seen? yes. There is a third act action sequence, and it's quite extensive, where you see what it would be like to be have your ass kicked by a super speedster if you yourself do not have super speed. And, and maybe all you have is great strength. Um, and, and what it would be like to battle a super speedster who is not going to let you catch your breath, who is not going to let you wind up to hit them again, who is going to relentlessly via super speed just knock the shit out of you and i i actually um having really enjoyed zach snyder's depiction of the powers of the justice league in the extended snyder cut and the depiction of the flash uh and of course my my, i love henry cavill's man of steel and i'm going to tell you there are definitely times in the movie especially early on when he's using his super strength that you're going to have recalls of Cavill as Superman. It they, they are shot similarly. There are, are echoes, in my opinion, which is why I believe that Fasto's kid identifies and calls Richard Madden Superman. Maybe he saw Henry Cavill depicted as Superman in the Man of Steel release in the MCU, and that's what he's calling upon. But there are definitely, um, uh, you know, reflections of how Specifically, Zack Snyder depicted Superman, but this depiction of super speed in combat, in desperate combat, is fantastic. It is 
it is throttling. It is one of my favorite superhero battles I have seen on film to date. When the team uses their powers uh, together, it's quite thrilling. It's what we show up for. It's what we want. It's the superhero flex. Um, there are some definitely interesting manifestations of power. Cersei herself has a very interesting power that has not yet been on screen. I think you will enjoy every time she exudes her um, very uh, specific powers. I can't get to every single character, but I can tell you without fail that they are all um, given a lot of service. And I will tell you that there is a late second act twist in the story that I did not see coming that I very much... Uh, engaged me, got me to sit up straight, and carried me through the rest of the film. Uh, aside from some chemistry stuff and maybe some casting choices uh, and maybe the movie being just slightly on the long side, it, it I'll be seeing The Eternals again. I enjoyed it. It's a beautiful film. It introduces a whole new world. It's a big, giant uh, slice. Uh it's like when you go to that pizzeria and, and the slices are oversized. And, you know, my uh, when we were visiting my son in Connecticut not too long ago, he's like, oh, you're going to love this. They, they give you, you know, much bigger portions here. We are aware of portions as a society. We know the restaurants and the places that give us big portions. We are very aware when we go to the fancy schmancy restaurant that gives us the most minuscule of portions. You're like, wait, is this a piece of the salmon or is this the whole salmon? Because, man... I got coins in my pocket bigger than this piece of fish you're serving me. Okay, we are aware of portions, okay? So, uh, you know, when 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 we uh, you know, uh, participate and 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 we you know, sit down and 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 we go that that's a bigger slice than I get over here. Eternals is a big slice. It had to be. It, it asked too much. There are too many characters. There is too much story. There is too much world building. It is an admirable, admirable film. I enjoyed it. What I completely needed a couple days to shed was we live in such a competitive nature that well, when we sit down to see a Marvel film, not a non-Marvel film, a Marvel film, we're like, how's this going to do? Where is this going to rank? What am I going to compare this to? What box office is going to do? Is this going to compare to this, this, or this? We naturally buy into, and here's the deal, the competitive aspect of the MCU that they themselves introduced and thrive on. I had one of the producers uh, of the Marvel films tell me at a, at a lunch, no, dinner, about five years ago, that they absolutely have built the box office domination that they've built and that Disney is fully on board in order to kind of uh, utilize it as 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 a spiking of the ball against everybody else who competes with them. Like, look at us. Look at our opening weekends. Look at our legs. Look at our total box office. Look at our international gross. So I believe that Marvel now is kind of exists in a world of their own making. We are all comparing them to them. And, and, and they have built up this comparison. Right before the pandemic, Disney had their biggest movie year ever. I think there was $7 billion films in 2019. It was Endgame. It was the last, you know, Rise of Skywalker. I believe that it was Aladdin. I believe it was the live action Lion King. Um, 
it was Toy Story 4, whatever it was, you guys, there was, I think, six or seven of their movies did a billion dollars. And they spiked that ball. They put out those releases. They shoved that into our face. Look at us. We're like no other studio ever before. We are the biggest. We are the baddest. We are the most, you know, successful. They are not wrong. All of those metrics 100% 100% work for them. But now it's almost like you have to exercise yourself when you sit down to see something and you go, wait, wait, wait. I can't compare the Eternals to anything else. It has nothing else to compare itself to. It's, I need to compare it on a three-act structure, classic three-act structure of a movie. The characters I meet, do I engage with them? Are they enough to carry my interest? Am I at the end of this journey? Am I interested in this world? Yes, yes, yes. Okay? But you have to purge yourself. Because early on, you're like, how's this, how's this compared to this? How's this? Well, you can't compare the Eternals to Endgame. You can't compare the Eternals to Civil War. You can't compare the Eternals to something that already has existing installments that, have, that has provided you with a familiarity that gives shortcuts to the material. So even myself, I had to settle and think about what I saw. What did I think of what I saw? How did I process what I saw? Was it entertaining? So you guys... This is the craziness of the world that Marvel has actually built out for themselves, a very competitive landscape, which they, you are going to compare them to them. Moving all that aside, brand new world, tons of new characters, all new um, concept of the, I understand the, the Celestials as a concept was introduced in Guardians of the Galaxy. Guys, I was there. I held my breath. I can't believe they're showing us the Celestials. I mean, oh, I couldn't believe back in the summer. Of, of 2014 that I was getting Celestials in my Guardians of the Gal- Galaxy movie. But this time they have to embrace it for what it is, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest components in the MCU. So they did it. And I'm telling you, there's that third act where you, I've already mentioned, the Celestials are finally given the scale. You see them over a, a, a modern human city. You see the enormity of their presence. You you feel the magnitude of the threat and it's exciting. That is now a preface of what is to come next. So, the Eternals. Jack Kirby introduced us in 1976 to this brand new world. And it ran for almost 24 issues worth of material. It was rich. It was deep. It was resonant. It was new. It was big. It was bold. The Eternals movie uh, strives to be all those things and works almost across every possible metric. Um, you're never going to get something that is aggre- as aggressive as as Jack's every single page of Jack Kirby. But like I said, towards the end, are they giving you the equivalent of a giant, supersized Jack Kirby spread and some fantastic imagery? And are there... There are shots in this movie that are just like beautiful matte paintings with so much depth. Foreground, middle ground, background, and it's cool. It's it's really cool. And uh, I really enjoyed taking it in. I, uh, uh, I think that you will enjoy this new journey. I think Marvel has uh, invested wisely in these new characters. I believe Angelina Jolie and the rest will be back in further installments. There are two big, giant Post-credit scenes, I will not uh, spoil those for you. What I will tell you, if the, if you are going for a lot of Kit Harrington, he makes every scene he is in better 
uh, just like Brian Tyree Henry. But uh, but he's not in the movie as much as you think he is. Just just go accepting the fact that uh, you know the Black Knight will return. The the uh, you know our our good friend Dane will 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 have a bigger role in 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 future installments. Just not right now. Just not right in this movie. And and it makes sense given all that they had to build off of. So. Uh, Eternals. It's cool. Jack Kirby would be proud. He'd be proud knowing that Angelina Jolie uh, appeared as Thena and Gemma Chan is Cersei and, and, and Richard Madden is Icarus. Um, he would love all this. He would, all the way on down. Um, he would love especially this sequence towards the end of the film which gives the proper amazing scale of the Celestials. The Unimind! He would flip out. He would probably chuckle. There's the Unimind. The Unimind. The Unimind is in this movie. It's it's cool, man. Um, both both comic and film uh, had the same mission: start something new, start something fresh, and uh, without any familiar underpinnings. And they both uh, did that in spades. Uh, it there should be a lot more stories. There's thousands of years to fill in of what they were doing and who they were doing it with and to. Um, Again, in the comics, from the Flood to Noah's Ark, they imply that they walked alongside us. They do the same thing here. It's cool. I would be up for so much more of that. Maybe even, you know, there were guys I was talking to on the way out. They're like, man, this this material is so rich. It could be a Disney Plus show. It could be. And you could do one Eternal. You could Maybe, maybe we'll see Sprite and see more of her adventures over a thousand year span. I think everybody would be on board. For something like that. I wanted a good Icarus story. I wanted a good Thena story. I got it. I wanted to angel my movie star tendencies uh you know drove me to to be excited about this film because of Angelina uh, Angelina Jolie. I've seen everything she's ever been in. I'm a huge fan. I think she's great. She is charismatic, she is beautiful, she carries your attention no matter what, whatever she's on screen. She's made some bold choices in her career. It's cool that she is now part of the MCU. It's cool that she brought her whole family to celebrate it. That was really exciting to see. Um, and again, it, it speaks to how big these movies have gotten and what these movies now represent. So, uh, you know, The Eternals, it's coming out. Uh, is it November 2nd? Is it November 4th? It's its the first weekend of November. Uh, I think everybody's going to be really excited. They're going to start probably blasting out more imagery, more, um, more shots and more, uh, you know, cuts that gets you even more amped up. But again, it's fresh. And when Feige says we started from, from the ground up here, he's not wrong. He is not wrong. Those, those after credit scenes are going to have you leaving, uh, a little more excited. You know, one of the after credits scene got the reaction that it did because of the actor who's portraying the character, but the character that the actor is portraying is not insignificant neither is the other character that he appears with who's getting overshadowed because of the actor that's playing the character then the second post credit scene really is is again they're, they're both story driven they both represent brand new wrinkles in this mcu that we should be excited about uh so big 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 menu on tap movie looks beautiful it's it's filmed 
Uh, gorge, it's gorgeous. It has a real global scope to it. If I haven't really brought that home, Brian Tyree Henry is the MVP. He's great. You'll know what I mean when we, when, when you see it. His character really comes into his own. Um, and and uh, man, what a, what a lot of fun! So so there you guys, there you guys have it. My extended discussion of the Eternals film. It looks great. It's got great performances. It's a huge new world that they are attempting to build. And uh, and that's the other thing. Like I was like, I'm not a movie critic. I don't need to critique this. I'm not the LA Times movie critic. I'm not the New York Times movie critic. I don't need to give you a recommend. I'm just here to talk about the movie. That's what I did today. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and 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 I hope that we can talk about Eternals more in the uh, in 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 the in the weeks and months to come. And of course, you guys will through our interactions online let me know this is the time of the show where i share with you guys um your reviews that you've been generous enough to leave for me and i'm so excited that you guys care um uh uh you know care enough to 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 share this stuff um i i am i we need this show needs your reviews it needs your stars your, your recommendations, your word of mouth, your subscriptions. Thank you so much for investing in this show. I'm going to read today from Crop Duster, The Impossible, okay? Crop Duster, K-R-O-P-P-D-U-S-T-E-R, left me this five-star review. Favorite podcast. I've enjoyed Rob's observations for some time. Rob brings amazing insight and commentary from some of the most interesting moments in the comic industry, including the founding of Image Comics, the creation of Heroes Reborn. He's covered a wide array of of comic topics that I've enjoyed, including Robert Crumb's Book of Genesis. Most recently, I listened as Rob dissected the latest comic book feud surrounding Venom. Rob broke it down and discussed it with great care in a thoughtful way that was great. Years ago, Rob made an appearance at a con that was close to where I lived that I had to miss. I hope he can make it back to this area sometime and I can let him know how much I enjoy this in person. Thank you, Rob. You don't need to, Crop Duster. It'll be great to meet you, but this meant a, a, a great deal to me. Thank you for letting me know in this review. Thank you for leaving this review. Thank you for these kind words. I so enjoy sharing these great stories with you. I try and and give it to you um, with care and detail and bring the receipts and, 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 and source the material as often as I can because I know that matters to me and I'm learning how much it matters to you guys. Thank you for this review. Crop Duster, The Impossible. Thank you so much. Um, guys, I read your reviews at the end of every show, so please leave them. Um, and I will be glad to share them. I thank you for them in advance. I am all over social media on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld blue check. That's really me on Instagram. I have my shorter version of my name, Rob Liefeld blue check. That's really me. I'm all over Facebook. I'm in all sorts of different groups. Um, adding new ones every day. I love sharing and, 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 and interacting with you guys. And it is so fun. And I hope to do more of it in the future. This is the time of the show where you commit to me to taking care of yourselves. I know that you're going to, you're going to do that. Okay. And, and, uh, and you need to, and, and, and if you do that, then we can be back and hang for the very next episode, which I'll be here to deliver to you. So, so guys, make sure that you stay safe and we are going to talk again real soon.